0: Based on our words. Again, maybe consciously, maybe unconsciously. But he's not bound to act based on our words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is in a class of his own, he is bound by nothing. He's not bound by human words or human will. God is in heaven, he does as he pleases, he can't be unlocked, he can't be manipulated. So why would someone think that this is what Proverbs eighteen twenty one means? Why would someone think that? Why would someone read it this way? Why would someone have this view of God, again, whether consciously or unconsciously? I think it's often unconscious. But why? I think because of two reasons. And I really actually identify with these reasons, personally. Like, I get it. The two reasons are hope and fear. So think about the two different streams in that diagram there. There's hope, perhaps, it seems, because if I say the right things, if I speak words of faith, then it really actually can change the lives of those I love or my life, perhaps. You know, I I can understand how this idea gives hope, even if it doesn't actually work out that way in reality. Uh, my parents and brother and wider family don't know Jesus. Uh, I really want them to know Jesus. It's uh, it's a quite an, att- an attractive idea that if I speak the right words, that they'll come to know Jesus, right? Because I really want them to. Um, and and also uh, there are things in my life. Some of you know that I, I've struggled with some significant illnesses. Uh, there are there are things that Sky and I cry out about at times to God. I really get it. If you're someone who, who looks at this and goes, that gives me hope, even if it doesn't work out that way in reality, that gives me hope. I, I get that. <laughs> There's part of me that wants this to be true. So I kind of get why this gives hope. I also get why it might bring fear because look at that bit down the bottom. If I say the wrong things... If I say things that express doubt or concern or anxiety or whatever, oh, no, that, that could change things too. That might actually keep God from pouring out the blessing on me that he wants to bless me with. right? So therefore, the reason that maybe things aren't going so well, the reason that my parents don't yet know Jesus, the reason that I've got these illnesses I struggle with, is because I don't have enough faith. And I'm not expressing enough faith. That's crushing, isn't it? If you imagine yourself, and that's, it, that, that's a pity, a stomach dread. That's real fear. So I get why someone would, would kind of believe this because there does seem to be hope in it and there is real fear to it. But let me encourage you, thankfully, this isn't what Proverbs 18.21 teaches. This isn't what the Scripture teaches. You don't have to put your hope in this understanding of God, that if I do this, he'll do that. And you don't have to hold on to this fear that things are wrong because you lack faith or that your relatives haven't come to know Jesus because you haven't thanked God in advance enough yet. You don't have to hold that fear. This is not the way God works. After all, think about it. Scripture is full of people righteous people who express doubt and express concern and express fear and express anxiety uh, think about david we've recently in our bible reading plan been reading in the psalms right and so there's david in exile in the wilderness being chased running for his life and does he say i thank god in advance everything's okay no he doesn't <laughs> He cries out at times, where is God? In Psalm 3, he says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up? reality for what it is. Or think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Is he there saying, even though he knows everything's going to be okay, is he there saying, praise God in advance, everything's going to be fine? No, he's saying, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death gosh. Now, did God God block David or Jesus from his blessing based on those words? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We don't need to fear that our honest words of concern or struggle or fear have to be hidden from God. We can be honest, nor do we need to Put our hope in words that express thankfulness in advance for a reality that hasn't yet come. We can be honest with our words. We're not in control. God is. We don't need to hold on to that kind of fear or put everything into that kind of hope because thankfully this isn't what Proverbs 18:21 teaches. But what does Proverbs 18:21 teach? <laughs> We're here, we're half an hour through a sermon. I haven't actually told you what this passage says yet, have I? <laughs> now, uh, one thing on that, uh, and we, we brought this up in our, our men's retreat, actually. It's really important. One of the, the roles that an elder or pastor like myself has is correcting error, okay? And that might sound mean, but it's not. It's actually loving. Because do you see, if, if someone is holding on to this false hope, it's no hope at all. It would be unloving if we didn't point that out. And if someone's holding on to this false fear and living under it, gosh, what a horrible place to be. Wouldn't it be better to know that this isn't what God actually teaches? So, again, it's really important that we spend time understanding how erroneous views of the Scripture work, understanding what's behind them, perhaps, and and sort of then going, hey, you don't need to hold on to this. There is a better way. Right, so it's really important. The last half an hour we've just spent learning what this passage doesn't say <laughs> is actually really important. But I do want to just spend this last 10 minutes-ish going through with you what this passage does say. Because, and here's the thing, there is a much greater hope to these words than what this gives us. There's a much greater hope. And, if we're honest, a much greater fear as well. So let's take a look. Jacob, if we could bring um, Proverbs 18, 21 back on the screen there. Our words do shape some things in reality. That's clear from these verses. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They do have enormous power. But we don't need to focus on whether or not our words unlock or block us from God's blessing. We need to focus on what our words say about us. What do our words say about us? Do they show that we have life in us? Or do they show that we have death in us? What do our words do to others? Do our words bring the things of life to others? Or do they sow seeds of death to others? Friends, these are the things to watch with our words, not about whether it blocks or unblocks God's blessing, but rather what do our words say about us? And I want us to consider how Jesus interprets this concept of words having the power of life and death. So come with me to Matthew chapter 12. Again, we're in verse 33. And here Jesus starts with an illustration. How do you know if a tree is good? How do you know if a tree is good? You look at the fruit, right? Uh, We've got a lemon tree in our backyard. Well, it's supposedly a lemon tree. When we first bought the house, it was a lemon tree. And then there was a storm and the tree mostly fell over and the branches cracked because we hadn't pruned it enough. And, you know, I've invested a bunch of time trying to regrow and revitalise this lemon tree. And there it is. It's got all leaves all over it now. But you know what it doesn't have on it? Lemons. (laughs) So no one comes into our house and looks at our backyard and go, wow, look at this great lemon tree. Can I take some lemons home? Uh, There's no lemons on it. Functionally speaking, it's no longer a lemon tree, (laughs) right? There's something actually wrong with the tree. There's something that that storm did and, and it falling over, so it's no longer a healthy tree. And you can see that by its fruit. So, here's the first thing Jesus says. Our words are the fruit of our heart. How do you know where a heart is at? How do you know about the health of a heart? How do you know whether our heart has life or death? The fruit is our words. Verse 34. He challenges the crowd that's listening. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure, his good heart, brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. A healthy tree bears healthy fruit, an unhealthy tree does not bear fruit. Someone whose heart is good, whose heart has life, will bring forth words of life. And someone whose heart is dead, as it were, will bring forth words of death. And just notice here that Jesus isn't worried about whether our words gain or block God's blessing. That's not even on the agenda. He's concerned about what our words say about the condition of our heart. Because at the end of the day, we'll have to give an account for our words. Have you thought much about that? On average, we speak, what is it, ten to 20,000 words a day? Some of us speak more, some of us speak less, that's okay, but think about that. That's 10 or 20,000 chances to sin. Notice what Jesus says in verse 36 to 37, that after describing the good person bringing forth good, the evil bringing forth evil, he he says in verse 37, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Whether we recognize him as such or not, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And when he returns, he will call every single one of us to account for the words that we've spoken in our life. 10,000 here, 20,000 there. He's the one who's come to earth as God, risen again to life, that he might judge the living and the dead. He will judge us for our words, friends. Our words will either justify us or condemn us. They will reveal whether or not we really trusted in Jesus for salvation and revered him as Lord. And I'll unpack that a little bit more in a moment, but but just come back to, to Proverbs eighteen twenty one. there. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Notice the connection in fruit there. According to Jesus, here is the true thing to fear when it comes to words. Fear that your words might reflect a heart that's distant from God fear that your words might reflect a dead heart. That's the thing to fear. You know, it's actually really easy for someone to say that they're a Christian. Have you thought about this? It's really easy to say you're a Christian. Seriously. If you say this morning, hey, I trust in Jesus. I trust that He's forgiven me. I trust that, that I'm a child of God. There would be stacks of people in this room who would be stoked this morning to hear that, and I'm one of them, Right? So, you could say that even without believing it, even without really thinking that that's true. It's easy to say you're a Christian, but beware because those few words may well be overshadowed by the many other words in your life that speak to a different reality. Words of bitterness and rage spat at those you don't like, reflecting perhaps that you don't truly understand Christ's forgiveness. Words of gossip and slander spoken in corners, reflecting perhaps that you don't understand Christ as your Lord. Words of criticism and tearing down, reflecting perhaps that you haven't truly experienced Christ's transforming love. Uh, these really are the words of death. These are the words of death. Words that don't enrich or bring life, but tear down and bring death, because they come from a heart that's still dead. And Jesus says that we'll be justified or condemned based on our words. Now, of course, our words and works don't save us. Right? We know this. So, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you've got to clean up your speech. Get more of those 10,000, 20,000 words that you say every day to be good words rather than bad words. That's how you be saved. That's not what he's saying. Words are not the root of our salvation, but they are the fruit of our salvation. They are the fruit. And if your words often have a lot more in common with death than life, they probably reflect a dead heart untouched by the love of God. So beware. This is what we truly need to fear about our words. We speak thousands of them every day. That's thousands of opportunities to sin. But there is also true hope in words. There's true hope, better hope than what we've seen earlier today. After all, John begins his gospel by saying that Jesus is God's word to us, the logos in Greek, the word, the message from God to us. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Is the deity of Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, God's word of judgment to our sin need not be the final word because he's revealed himself to us in grace and truth through his son, Jesus Christ, the one who came in flesh who walked among us, who knows that so many of our words are sinful. But Jesus never sinned with his words. Think about that. Jesus never sinned with his words. Jesus' words only ever reflected a heart that was full of grace and truth, love, kindness, compassion, perfect love for God and others, even for his enemies, On the way to the cross, he didn't spit out condemnation at those murdering him. Rather, as Isaiah says, like a sheep on the way to slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. He remained silent. Then, even think when he was hanging on the cross, he didn't spit out words of condemnation or anger. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There on the cross, he died, taking on himself every one of our sinful words. And more than that, the weight of our sinful hearts. Hearts that were turned against God. Hearts turned against each other. There at the cross, he faced the judgment of God that we deserve. And now, those who really do trust that he lived and died and rose for their forgiveness, are saved by this Word from God, the Word of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross, the living Word. And Do you know this? Do you have this hope? This is true hope. You can be forgiven for every sinful word you've ever said or will ever say. And more than that, you can be forgiven for the sinful heart that you and I both have. You can have eternal life and a relationship with God. So trust in Jesus that God would save you. Why wouldn't you? God has spoken to us in his son because he wants to save us. But remember, if you do trust in Jesus, if he has given you this new heart, there will be fruit it will change the way that you speak. It will change the things that your heart is preoccupied upon. If you have received eternal life, you will speak words of life to others, not words of death. So over time, there may be or there must be less slander and rage and malice, gossip and criticism tearing down, and so on. And there must be more kindness, compassion, patience, love, truth to our words. And that's in every area of our lives, right? Whether to your husband or wife, or your kids, whether to your parents, or the waitress at the cafe who stuffed up your order the person who's really done you wrong, the stranger or friend who really needs to hear the truth of the gospel, there really will be change. There must be. And if there isn't, beware what that might show about your heart. So here's where we land on this verse, Proverbs 18:21, Words of life and death. Friends, you don't need to fear that your words will block God's blessings to you don't need to fear that words of concern or anxiety or doubt or difficulty will block God from blessing you. Instead, there's a greater fear. Fear what your words may reflect about your heart and fear God by putting him in his right position as creator, the sovereign Lord who answers to no one. And on the other hand, friends, you don't need to put your hope in certain words, to unlock God's blessings for you. Instead, put your hope in the living word, Jesus, who forgives all your sinful words and transforms you from the inside out to speak words that bring life to others. That is true hope. So, what do you fear? Where does your hope truly lie? What do your words say about you? about your true fear and your true hope. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, today we've heard about the power of words and we finish our time by saying we love the words that your son Jesus speaks. Jesus, we love your words. We love the way that you use words to bring us healing and freedom and hope. You don't use our words to block us from the blessings of your Father. You never shame us with words. You never manipulate us with words. You never flatter us. But you do bring great encouragement with your words. Lord Jesus, we know that you never repeat our failures to others. You only bring our sin and brokenness to the throne of grace as you ever live to pray for your beloved bride. You alone have the words of eternal life. So, Lord, our prayer is quite simple, yet very necessary. Uh, Grant us greater stewardship with our words, Lord Jesus. As you speak to us, please speak through us. As you apply more grace to our lives, may it be shown in all our conversations being salted and empowered with your grace. Lord, we're painfully aware that our words can bring great harm and death, even as they can be a source of hope and life for others. And you tell us that our words are a sure reflection of what's filling our hearts. So we know that no mere promise to avoid gossip or idle chatter or reckless words or coarse jesting will be enough. We know it's not about tongue control as much as it is is about heart preoccupation. Therefore, Lord Jesus, we realize that we must constantly be preaching the gospel to our own hearts, filling our minds with the good news of grace, setting our affections on things above, treasuring you and your love more than we treasure life itself. And so, Lord, may the overflow of your grace be obvious to all. We want our tongues to be a scalpel for healing, Lord Jesus, not a hammer for harm. So we pray in your merciful and mighty name. Amen.